secret bunker somewhere outside of Nashville, Tennessee. This is the award-winning podcast, Parareality. Good evening, everybody, and thanks for listening tonight. My name is Sandman, and I'll be your guide through this strange realm of ghosts, cryptids, UFOs, aliens, conspiracy theories, and other unsolved mysteries that I like to call Parareality. Well, how was everyone's Halloween? No, it's been a minute since Halloween has come and gone. But mine was pretty good. Mrs. Sandman and I stayed at home and got dressed up. Scared the hell out of some of the local trick-or-treaters. She dressed up like a witch, which uh, isn't a stretch for her, by the way. But don't tell her I said that. And uh, I got into my Slenderman costume. You can check out some of the pics and videos of my Twitter and Instagram accounts, both of those at Parareal Radio, at Parareal Radio. Just had some fun, some good old-fashioned fun on Halloween. My wife and I love Halloween, of course, as you can probably guess that. And uh, we just always try and do something different for Halloween. Uh, I, I always... Uh, dress up the front of the house, make a haunted cemetery, and we've got several props and stuff that we put out and try to switch it up every year, make it look a little different. And, man, we, we just love Halloween. It's my favorite holiday, that and Christmas, I think. Of course, if you're listening to this podcast, Halloween's probably your favorite holiday too. So I missed putting out an episode last week due to some unforeseen circumstances But don't worry, I'm making up for it, obviously, this week. And then on next Friday, I'll be back on schedule with the season 15 finale of Parareality. And then I'll see you in January for season 16. Man, I can't believe that it's been that many seasons. And, you know, I go a long time uh, with my seasons, I don't do like, you know, three months here and then take a few weeks break and then come back with another three months and stuff. I, I do mine pretty much by calendar year, you know, uh, from January all the way through November, the second November or the second Friday of November every year. And um, that's a long long season to do a show it gives me basically 22 episodes and uh, I you know I enjoy it um, I know not everybody out there does it like I do and that's okay you know if you have a podcast you do you and I'll do me but it's a lot of work but I enjoy it and I can't believe that it's been 15 seasons. It's coming to a close here in just one more week. It's amazing. But I am looking forward to some time off and spending some uh, QT with the missus because she deserves it after all. Well, that's enough about that. You know, thanks to all of the endless number of paranormal shows on TV and streaming services, it really seems like there's no haunted location that hasn't been investigated at least twice, and some of them 
have been investigated literally to death, it seems like. Now, I'm sure there's a handful of places out there that the masses don't know about, you know, those secret places known only to the local paranormal teams, and those places produce great investigations, and you get great evidence from them, and they want to keep those places to themselves. And we do need to keep those places secret because all the others are in danger of being investigated out. In other words, what I'm trying to say is I I think that they've been investigated so much that the paranormal activity that's there is weakening and is in danger of basically being sucked dry. However, besides those few secret places that hardly anyone knows about, there are a few public places that though they've seen their fair share of investigations, aren't all that well known. So tonight, I'll be counting down my top 10 lesser-known haunted places around the world. Now, some of these you may have heard of and others not. But to learn more, you'll need to turn on, tune in, and find out. Now here comes my favorite time the podcast email time haven't done it the last couple of times just uh because i had so much stuff to cover i decided i needed to skip some time so i decided to skip the fan mail but uh it's back and i got a good one this time this comes from jay and jay writes where is the scariest place you've ever investigated well jay thanks for emailing me that question and to answer that honestly the scariest place i've ever investigated has been waverly hills sanatorium right outside of louisville kentucky and i'll tell you i i first became fascinated with waverly hills way back in Oh, God, I can't even remember what year it was when that show, The Scariest Places on Earth, was was being broadcast. And that's the first time that I ever uh, learned of Waverly Hills. And I saw that show, the episode where they had the people investigating it, and it just fascinated me because that place, they experienced some true haunted stuff there. And... When they went into the the uh, the morgue where they had the, um, I think they only had yeah well there's only I don't know what's there now but there at that time and at the the couple of times that I've been there's only been two um, body trays left in the the old cooler and um, that thing what got me was that uh, one of those the only one that, that actually is, is capable of rolling in and out, it freaking rolled out by itself on the show. Now, I don't know if that was staged or whatever, but it seemed real to me, and that just fascinated me. And I'm like, one day I'm going there, and I'm going to investigate that place, and I'm going to lay in, the, in that body tray. And that's exactly what I did. It took me a while to get there, but I did do it. And let me tell you, the place is really creepy, spooky, and the first time that I was there, um, 
was the spookiest time. One of my team members experienced a entity. Now, uh, there was no power in the areas we were at. So, of course, it was at night. And, you know, there's darkness there, right? And one of my team members saw something, some sort of entity, something that was blacker than the dark that she was in. And it rushed at her. It didn't necessarily attack her, but it rushed at her, scared the bejesus out of her. And uh, she was basically like frozen still, uh, slumped down against a wall in a hallway. And um, we had all kind of like branched off and was looking at places uh, in, in different locations. We were still on the same level, but we weren't together anymore. And dude, she was so pissed at the rest of the team for leaving her because we all just kind of like split up and that's something that you know they don't like for you to do and we that was like you know a cardinal sin to do that and that's what we did and she was extremely pissed because she felt abandoned and scared and I don't blame her we deserve to get our asses chewed out by her for that but the feeling that you get there is just it's I'm not saying it's oppressive but it's just heavy. I mean, you know that there's something that that is there, you, and you know something's happened there. And what really made it super creepy and scary for me was I went into, once again, by myself, what, what you're not supposed to do, right? I went by myself into this area where uh, I can't remember what they call it, but it, it's basically it was like a gym, so it's like a big, huge open area. And at one point, they had bed after bed after bed just lining this whole place because it was so full of patients. And, of course, all of them had tuberculosis, and, you know, probably 90% or better were dying. And uh, I went into that place, and I don't even know how I found my way to it. Um, But I, I went in there, and the closer I got to stepping in there when I was walking down the hall to it, the more uh, heavy everything got, the feeling of heaviness and, and, and oppressiveness, I guess, would be a good word to describe this feeling. And when I walked in there, I don't know what it was, but there was something in that area that did not want me there. And the feelings of just being nervous and anxious and um, fear, fearful, were just overwhelming when I walked in that place. And and I'm not one of those people that that experiences that. I, I did not. I don't get necessarily scared like that. You know. And I really had no good reason to. Nothing was going on. Like there was, you know, there was no quote unquote activity happening. But it was just the feelings of of oppression and fear. And you got this feeling that something did not want you there. And if you stayed, something bad might happen. That I, I only stayed for literally a, a, a minute. And I had to get out of there. And I, I, I beat feet and got the hell out of there pretty quick. So... Yeah, man, that's the scariest place. 
that I have ever investigated, Waverly Hills Sanatorium. I'd love to go back there again one day. Been there twice. I'd like to make it a third time. Uh, so, yeah. Thanks, Jay, for that question. I really appreciate it. If you've got a question or comment about the show that you want to get on the air, just email me, sandman at parareality.com. And who knows, your question may get picked next. All right, let's get on with tonight's topic. But before I do that, why don't we take a break and let you listen to this. Era Reality is a proud member of the Straight Up Strange Podcast Network. To learn more about all the awesome podcasts that are members of the Straight Up Strange family, go to straightupstrange.com and get strange. Hey, how would you like to be an agent of chaos? What is chaos? It's the knowledgeable apprentices of Sandman, and that's what I call my Patreon account members. I'm looking for new agents, and I'd love it if you'd sign up to become one. There are three levels of agents, and all are extremely affordable, $5 a month or less. Each level offers exclusive content along with the ability to help create podcast episodes and even the chance to be a guest or a co-host. To learn more, head on over to patreon.com slash parareality. 100% of the proceeds from Patreon goes back into producing quality content for this podcast. You are listening to the Parareality Podcast, your information source for conspiracy theories, UFOs, the paranormal, and all things unexplained. New episodes drop the first Friday of every month at 8 o'clock p.m. Central U.S. time. Listen on your favorite podcast station. Turn on, tune in, and find out. If you wish to change, you must first lift the veil of ignorance that has been cast over your eyes. Only then will you see the true power of the universe. With the sheer number of haunted destinations in the world, it doesn't seem fair that well-known creepy sites like Eastern State Penitentiary, Trans-Allegheny, and the aforementioned Waverly Hills Sanatorium and others get all the attention. So I was thinking when I got that email from Jay about what was the scariest place I've ever investigated, I was thinking, man... What if it wasn't a well-known location? What if it was someplace that no one had ever heard of? And I got to thinking, gosh, it seems like every haunted location in the world has just been investigated to death. So I started doing some research about some lesser-known haunted places around the world, and I've got, of course, my one of my famous top ten lists together. So here is, or should I say here are, ten lesser-known haunted places around the world that certainly will scare the hell out of you. Number one is the Fort Gary Hotel in Winnipeg. Most of the unnatural occurrences at the Fort Gary Hotel in Winnipeg are focused in room 202, where, according to legend, a woman hung herself in the closet 
many years ago. Now, she did this after hearing that her husband had died. I don't know why she was in a hotel and found out her husband had died while she was at the hotel. Don't know if it was she was on a trip. I don't know if her husband died and then she went to the hotel to kill herself or what. I, I don't know. But that's the story. And there have been reports of blood supposedly dripping down the walls in this room and guests waking up to an apparition of a cloaked woman hovering at the foot of their bed. And people have even reported seeing apparitions walking down the halls. Now, if you go to Winnipeg, Canada, and you want to stay in the Gary Hotel, and you want to try to experience some spooky, creepy stuff, Room 202 is available to rent, so you can specifically ask for it, which is kind of unusual because a lot of places that have quote-unquote haunted rooms, they kind of tend to not rent those rooms out because of so many people coming wanting to stay in the haunted room. So it's if, if you have a chance... To, to go to any haunted place, any haunted hotel, and stay in the room that's supposedly haunted, you can... Uh... When you need auto parts, O'ReillyAuto.com is just a click away. Order online and pick up at your local store. Visit O'ReillyAuto.com. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. Definitely do that in Gary, at the, uh, excuse me, at the uh, Fort Gary Hotel. You know, it's, it's like I said, it's infamous for its haunted room 202 um, where this woman committed suicide after hearing the death of her husband. Uh, I, I guess uh, it was a car accident. And I, like I said, I, I don't know um, why she was at the hotel. I, I, have, I have no idea. But supposedly, like I said, she hung herself in the closet. And uh, during a stay in room 202 back in 2004, former uh, Ontario uh, liberal uh, MP Brenda Chamberlain claimed that she was awoken by the sensation of someone getting into bed with her not once but twice. And, of course, there was nobody there. A young boy who was on a trip with his family organized by the Make-A-Wish Foundation, wanted to stay at the Fort Gary Hotel in room 202. He was fascinated with the whole thing and decided to take some pictures of the room with his film camera, like a 35-millimeter film camera. And after getting the film developed a couple of months later, all the photos from the trip turned out, except for the ones in and around room 202. So that's very interesting. Now, the boy was thrilled, and he believed that the spirits in that room were just camera shy and didn't want to be seen. And speaking of the, the haunted room 202, the woman associated with haunting that room is also rumored to haunt the hotel lounge. She's been witnessed by staff and guests there, who uh, often hear crying in one of the corners of the room. 
Employees also reported seeing the ghost of a young woman dressed in a robe walking down the hallway. Ghostly figures have also been witnessed in other rooms, often at the foot of their beds. Sometimes a man has been seen, and in other instances, it's a woman reportedly wearing a ball gown. On one particular occasion back in 1989, a hotel employee was cleaning the kitchen during the overnight shift, and he had gone up the back stairway around 4 a.m. when he heard strange sounds coming from the locked dining room. He immediately went to go get the key, and when he opened the door, he saw what looked like the figure of a man sitting at a table. So he ran out to get another another member of the staff to show what he had seen, but when they got back there to the dining room, as you can guess, the figure had vanished. So there are several hauntings there reported at the Fort Gary Hotel in Winnipeg. Of course, the most famous being the woman who hung herself in room 202. My number two on the list of top 10 lesser-known haunted locations around the world is, you've probably heard of this one. This is the LaLaurie Mansion in New Orleans. Now, the LaLaurie Mansion in New Orleans is the former home of socialite and now-famous sadist, thanks to the television show American Horror Story Coven, uh, Madame Delphine, Delphine, excuse me, uh, Madame Delphine LaLaurie, and there were some horrifying events that happened at the LaLaurie Mansion in the 1830s. Now, if you've read anything about the ghosts and the hauntings in New Orleans, there's no doubt that you've heard about the LaLaurie Mansion. It's one of the most popular stops on New Orleans ghost tours, and sometimes people in the city won't even call it that. Instead, they call it by its address, and they call it 1140 Royal Street. And sometimes they even call it simply the haunted house instead. Now, phantoms of the tortured slaves who died on the property have been reported along with screams coming from the house. People on group tours have fainted or become nauseated. Some have even vomited. And actor Nicolas Cage actually owned this house for a while, but He didn't experience any unusual happenings while he was living there. Now, before we got married, Mrs. Sandman and I went to New Orleans, and we did a ghost tour and went to the LaLaurie Mansion. Not, Of course, you can't go inside of it because it is a private residence. And um, we were there on the outside, and uh, we heard all of these same stories. Um, but we did not experience anything. No one got uh, sick or nauseated, and no one fainted, no one vomited. Um, but, yeah, so I have I guess you could say that I've, I've been there. Now, for almost 200 years, there have been reports of paranormal activity coming from this house. It shouldn't surprise many that, that the hauntings there are attributed to the slaves that Madame LaLaurie kept on the property. There's a room in the mansion where slaves were often kept, and reports of moaning coming from that room are common. 
Phantom footsteps can be heard throughout the house with regularity, and a lot of people who have stood near the house have reported feeling as if they were taken over by some sort of negative energy. Now, despite all the ghost stories and paranormal happenings at the LaLaurie Mansion, it'd be a mistake to assume that all of them can be traced back to Madame LaLaurie and her mistreatment of slaves. In 1894, a tenant who lived at the LaLaurie Mansion, uh, because at that time the house was converted into apartments, uh, a tenant in 1894 was brutally murdered in his room. They found his belongings that it had been ransacked like someone had gone through them, and the police assumed that he was simply the victim of a robbery, even though nothing of value was found to be missing. An interesting story, or an interesting account, rather, regarding this murder deals with the police interviewing neighbors about his disappearance. One of his friends claimed that he was having problem with spirits in his house, and his friend wrote it off as the guy um, just having an imagination that was just running wild with him. But he did say something interesting. He claimed that his friend told him that there was a demon in the house who wasn't going to rest until the friend had met his end which that's exactly what happened. So is it possible that at least some of the ghostly phenomena can be a result of this brutal murder? Well, it certainly is. However, nobody will know for sure until a real paranormal investigation team can go in and visit this place. Only then, by communicating with the dead who still reside there, can we hope to get to the bottom about the truth of the ghosts that haunt the LaLaurie Mansion. Number three on my top ten list of lesser-known haunted locations is Ross Castle in Ireland. Now, this one you may or may not have heard of. I know it's certainly new for me as I was uh, reading about lesser-known haunted locations. Among the many, many haunted castles in Ireland, this 16th century castle, Ross Castle, which is located in the county Meath, now serves as a five-bedroom bed and breakfast. Now, there's another Ross Castle in, uh, I know I'm going to pronounce this right, Killarney, but it's different from that one. Okay, this is in Meath County, or County Meath, however you want to say it. It was built by the English Lord Richard Nugent, a famously cruel aristocrat, Ross Castle is said to be haunted by his daughter, Sabina. It all started back in 1536 when Richard Nugent, the 12th Lord of Devlin, had the castle that is known today as Ross Castle. And Ross Castle is built at the edge of the Pale, the Anglo-Saxon-dominated heart of medieval Ireland. Its position at the top of a steep hill on the shores of uh, Loaf Sheelan, overlooking the enemy territory of the O'Reillys to the north, was of strategic importance. Now, Richard Nugent, who was called the Black Baron, had, of course, a very nasty reputation. He was hard on his people. He was very uh, short-tempered. 
and he was said to possess a mean streak, and that's how he got his nickname, the Black Baron. Now, the Black Baron had a daughter, Sabina. Now, she wasn't reportedly to be all that healthy, but she grew up to be a beautiful young woman, and she spent much of her youth at the shores of the lake near Ross Castle. Although she was the daughter of an English lord, extended walks that she took brought her into contact with the local Irish people. Now, they liked her. She was pleasant. She was, she was well-mannered. The village people, the village folk liked her. And a lot of times she would have a governess accompanying her. But now and then she'd manage to get away without being watched. And she would interact with the people and talk and laugh and have a good time. And they genuinely liked Sabine, Sabina. So on one of these occasions when she was by herself, she was walking down the bridge, which uh, it ran across something called the any. And I'm not familiar with all of these terms, okay? And I should have looked up what, what the any is. And, but anyway, this formed the border of her father's domain. And while she was down there, she met a really handsome young man, and they started talking. This dude's name was Orwin. He was son of an O'Reilly chieftain, which is the enemy, if you remember, right? The enemy to the north. So he was the son of an O'Reilly chieftain. And they got to liking each other, and they promised that they would meet again, which they did. And more and more often, they would meet together. A lot of times, though, it had to be in secrecy since it was unprecedented for the daughter of an English lord to visit with the son of an Irish chieftain. And as you can guess, they soon fell deeply in love with each other. A time passed, and the longer they waited, the more the realization grew that they could never be together. They talked about getting married and spending their lives together, though. Didn't stop them from doing that. But their families were enemies. They were waging war on each other time and time again, over and over. Orwin and Sabina got to get, now they got pretty desperate, and their commitment to each other was stronger than their family dispute and the politics that their lives were embroiled in. So without any hope in sight, one day they decided, screw it, we're just going to elope. Without any future for them in the land they were raised in, they had to say farewell and leave everything that they knew behind to seek out their fortune elsewhere. And on the night that they were meeting in secrecy to elope, they boarded a boat down by the shore and started to row across the lake. And as they were mm, well on their way out there, they were probably close to halfway, a storm came up, a, a sudden storm, the kind that often blows in from the west. It came up, catching them by surprise, and the boat got off course, and they couldn't return it back on course, and, of course, the storm was growing stronger. There was a bunch of wind, and a sudden swell of water caught the boat and dumped them out, overturned it. So Sabine, Sabina, 
was rescued, but for some reason she didn't wake up for three days. And Orwin, unfortunately, drowned, his body being eventually recovered from the, uh, the lake before Sabine woke up. And upon realizing that her lover was dead, Sabina fell into a deep depression. It was so deep, she was feeling so hopeless that she would lock herself up in the castle's tower and she wouldn't eat or drink until she fell into a deep, deep sleep from which she never woke up. And that's how the legend goes. So to this very day, Sabina haunts the castle's walls. Visitors and guests make frequent encounters with her spirit, still in search for her lover and restless until the day she will be reunited with him. It's said that Sabina's fate was the payback for her father's cruelty. His soul will not find rest over the fate of his many victims and his grief for the loss of his only daughter. The Black Baron's presence has also been reported by visitors in the vicinity of the castle on numerous occasions. So there's your classic lover's tale, right? All the way over in Ireland. Number four on my list is the Isle of Daska in Croatia. And I'd never heard of this place. I can't believe I've never heard of this place. But yet, somehow, I haven't. And I'm I'm thinking you probably haven't heard of it either because it's it's just, well... It's not that well-known, right? (laughs) That's the whole point. (laughs) Oh, God, that's the whole point of this list. So Croatia's lovely little island of Daska, it's up for sale. But despite its heroic Franciscan monastery that sits on the grounds there, it has an idyllic lighthouse. It has woodlands. It's beautiful. Despite all this, the island can't be sold because it cannot shake the memory of the dozens of people who were executed there in a post-World War II furor. Now, if you've listened to this podcast for any length of time, you have probably figured out that I uh, am a World War II historian, specifically the Nazis. And no, I'm not a Nazi. No, I don't like the Nazis. I don't admire what they did. However, they were into a lot of occult stuff. They had a lot of secret rituals and practices. They were just into a lot of freaky stuff. And I've done many episodes about the occult beliefs and practices of the Nazis. And I can't believe that I haven't, in all of my time, run across this little story here. So in the aftermath of World War II, Rooting out the remaining Nazis and Nazi sympathizers became almost an act of nationalist pride in some European countries. And unfortunately for the victims of the Dasa massacre of 1944, this anti-Nazi frenzy turned into more of an angry mob that took the lives of dozens of people without any type of trial, no due process whatsoever. So on October 18, 1944, Yugoslav partisans entered the coastal Croatian city of uh, Dubrovnik and arrested hundreds of citizens on suspicion of being Nazi sympathizers. And just days later, without any type of trial or due process, the partisan enforcers rode about 
53, but some counts say that number could almost be twice as much. But we're going to go with the lower number. We're going to say we can confirm 53 of the accused to the small island of Doxa, just off the shore, and they just mowed them down, man. They shot them dead. And the bodies weren't even buried. They were just simply left to rot on the island, laying where they fell. Now, among the dead were Dubrovnik's priest and mayor at the time. Now, while the guilt or innocence of the deceased victim was never determined, nor were the executioners ever investigated or processed, the entire tragic event seemed to just simply happen. It just it happened. Everyone was like, yep, it happened. Deal with it. Now, in 2010, a number of the bodies were given proper burials, yet many in Dubrovnik still claim that the island is haunted by the spirits of these massacre victims. The island is currently up for sale and for a surprisingly cheap price, but no one has yet to put in a bid. While it's probably not ghost keeping the buyers away, the memory of the massacre itself is haunting enough to dissuade any new owners. It's said that moaning can be heard pretty much nightly coming from the island, particularly on stormy nights. Now, I would love if I had a, uh, you know, limitless supply of money. I would love to go and and uh, at least stay a night on Datsa in Croatia. Hell, I would buy it if I could. What the hell? Buy it and turn it into a paranormal investigation training academy. I don't know. That sounds stupid. Oh, whatever. <laughs> So now we're coming to the halfway point, and we're going to do number five, Magnetic Hill in Orhai, Moldova. Orhai, Moldova, Magnetic Hill. Just south of the city of Orhai in Moldova sits Magnetic Hill, a spooky site with an interactive element. Legend has it that the Nazis, here we are with more Nazi stuff, that the Nazis committed atrocities in the area, and strange happenings have been occurring ever since. Magnetic Hill gets its name from the phenomenon that if you position your car just right across the road from the hill and you put your car in the neutral, the car will easily and eerily advance despite an opposing incline. And if you don't apply your brakes in time, you'll be pulled into traffic onto the M2. Now, this is probably one of those um, grade illusions like um, uh, what's the, the place in San Antonio by the railroad tracks where you put, you know, powder on your car, on the trunk of your car and leave it neutral that you can, you know, the you know, unseen hands will be outlined in the pattern where they push your car and try to push it away from the railroad track because supposedly a bus full of school children got hit there. Uh, that's been proven that even though it's an, it's an optical illusion, even though it looks like it's going uphill, the way that the land is graded and the road is graded and all that sorts of stuff, it, uh, it's actually going downhill. But it looks like it's going uphill. And that's probably what's going on here at Magnetic Hill. But I don't know. Moving on to number six, 
the Fister Hotel in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, getting back to the States. The landmark Fister Hotel is said to be haunted by the ghost of its founder, Charles Fister, who died in 1927. It's especially infamous among visiting baseball teams playing at Miller Park, leaving some players so creeped out that they will pay out of their own pockets to stay at another hotel. Now that's something. Staff and guests have reported Fister's ghost standing on the hotel's grand staircase, strolling around the ballroom, and he's even been seen on the ninth floor. Guests have reported their radios and televisions spontaneously turning on and off, footsteps going in and around and outside the hallway, knocking on the door to their room, but no one's there, and even furniture and personal items have been moved, as well as having lights in their room flickering on and off. Now, the Fister is not only a historical landmark in Milwaukee, but it's also the home of professional baseball and basketball teams whenever they're in town. Major League Baseball players have reported a wide range of paranormal activity when they've stayed at the hotel. Some of the things that they've reported are the aforementioned electrical anomalies, object manipulations, and apparitions. Adrian Beltre, a player for the Los Angeles, Los Angeles Dodgers, say that again fast, he uh, said in Sports Illustrated that he heard knocking on the hallway and on his door. And when he went to investigate, there was nobody there. And later, he saw the air conditioning and the televisions switch on and off by themselves. And when he was sleeping, he was awakened by pounding noises from behind his headboard. He was so scared that he took a bat with him to bed for protection. <laughs> That's crazy. And he was only able to sleep for two hours during his three-night stay. Oh, God. That's horrible. Two hours. Why don't you just get another room, dude? Oh, if, if it was that bad, let's go go stay with somebody else or pay out of your pocket and go to the Motel 6 down the street or something, for Christ's sakes. Uh, another baseball player for the Minnesota Twins, Carlos Gomez, he also experienced something paranormal a day before his big game. He heard disembodied voices then saw his iPod switch on by itself. And then the iPod began vibrating wildly and almost fell onto the floor. So he put it back on the table and it started doing the same thing again. Wow, that is scary. I'd have to get it. In a, look, I got to have my sleep, man. You know, I go through bouts of insomnia. Two hours and three days, I couldn't handle that. After, I think after just one night, all that crap going on, I'd be like, "Nope, I'm getting. Give me another room. There's got to be another room in here, or go sleep on the floor in somebody else's room, or go down to the Motel Six. Number seven, the Hoa Bichu Forest in Romania. Now you've probably seen this on. Uh, Ghost Adventures, Zach and the gang investigated this uh, several years ago. This is locate, located near the, uh, I'm going to mess this up, Cluj-Napoca, Transylvania area, 
Locals call the Hoabishu Forest the Bermuda Triangle of Romania. Locals there claim the area has been associated with evil for centuries. It's haunted by peasants that were murdered here whose souls are trapped in the forest. People have gone missing there. People have seen UFOs there. And there's also been unexplained electrical phenomena, which frequently occurs. And people say that they feel like they're being watched whenever they go in there. Paranormal activity is centered around a barren circle on a plateau in the interior. And no vegetation or plant life will grow on this circle. And according to the local legends, ghosts and spirits are lurking among the trees in the forest. One tale tells of a young girl who disappeared into the forest only to reappear five years later, and she was not able to remember where she had been. Another legend speaks of a shepherd who, along with his sheep, vanished within the woods and with most places associated with the supernatural and the paranormal. There are also rumors of alien encounters in Hoabishu Forest. And if you haven't seen that Ghost Adventures um, episode, I wish I could remember what year and what you know what season, what number episode number it was. But yeah, uh, you should you should look it up. Hoabishu, and it's spelled H O I A B A C I U. Hoabishu Forest. You've probably heard of that place. Maybe. And then number eight is another location that Zach and the Ghost Adventures crew has investigated. This is another place that you have uh, probably heard of. It's the Island of the Dolls in Mexico. This is a little island that's just south of Mexico City. And it's uninhabited. And it has, unfortunately, a sad history mixed with some creepy phenomena. The legend is that a girl drowned in a canal surrounding the island, and sometime later, dolls began to wash up on the shore of this little island. Now, there's a man named Julian, or Julian, however you want to say it, who was the island's only inhabitant and caretaker for about 50 years. So he collected all these dolls that had washed up, and he hung them from the trees in an attempt to please the spirit of the little girl. But unfortunately, according to the legend, he was later found drowned in the same exact spot that the little girl was found drowned in. Now, the island is now a tourist attraction with people bringing dolls to hang in order to appease the spirits there. The creepiness of the island no doubt adds to the hyperbole of reports claiming that the dolls sometimes move their heads and their arms, open their eyes, or whisper to each other. And, it, of course, you can think of the name like Island of the Dolls. All the haunting is going to be surrounding the dolls, correct? So you've got dolls moving, opening their eyes, and talking to each other. Number nine. And I'm like, God, I'm going to mess this up too. Here we go. Number nine, Bago Road and Gao Museum in Brisbane, Australia. So 
It's for my buddy, Oz, the oddball Aussie. Oz, dude, I'm sorry that I am uh, slaughtering the name of this. You'll have to, uh, if you hear this podcast, Oz, you'll you'll have to uh, tell me how to pronounce this properly. I'm just I'm just rolling with it, man. The Bago Road Goal Penitentiary was notorious for its poor living conditions and was the scene of roughly 100 deaths, including 42 hangings. Queensland's last execution was Ernest Austin, and this is the person who is allegedly the main source of the prison's hauntings. Stories telling about this guy laughing hysterically while being hanged but yet somehow managed to slip out one last giggle before he died are just notorious. Supposedly, his laughter can still be heard around the prison. He's often seen shrieking and laughing like a banshee at you from the upper floors. Now, it's said that he made a pact with the devil to gather more souls, which is why he's still hanging around there. The hauntings at Bago Road Jail are that extreme that the past guards would refuse to work the night shift and even officers today won't go near the jail after midnight. Over 100 people were executed here in its 106 years of operation. So you can understand the weird activity that that could possibly be going on in here, right? In 2014, Bago Road Jail became a functioning museum with daily ghost tours. On the last Sunday of every month, the prison players bring the jail back to life with reenactments. What kind of freaky reenactments are the prison players bringing back to life? What in the hell kind of high strangeness is this. To quote somebody famous, Amy Winehouse, what kind of fuckery is this? (laughs) Why in the hell would anyone want to go to a place and see prison stuff being reenacted? I mean, what are you reenacting? Number one, it can't be family-friendly, dude. There's just no way that this is family-friendly. And there's all kind of stuff that's just running through my head. Like, you know, the day Stevie dropped the soap in the shower for the first time. I, you know, I mean, just Bill gets shanked again. Uh, you know, I mean, just Why? <laughs> I don't understand this. Why? Oz, Oz the the oddball Aussie, if you hear this and you know of this place, please, please get in touch with me and tell me about this place. And please tell me that the prison players are not bringing the jail back to life with reenactments anymore. That is just crazy. Oh, my God. Finally, number 10... On my list, my top 10 list of lesser-known haunted locations around the world is probably the most famous on this list. I'm quite sure you've heard of it. It's the Akogihara 
forest in Japan. This is also known as the suicide forest. Akogihara is the first great spooky place on this list. It's at the base of Mount Fuji, and its moniker comes from its history as a place where people come to kill themselves. It's said about 100 people commit suicide there every year. Signs in both Japanese and English are posted in the forest urging people to seek help, including, and I'm quoting here, please consult with the police before you decide to die. (laughs) I mean, that's pretty blunt, right? Now, unsurprisingly, people believe that the forest is haunted both by the people who've committed suicide and, according to legend, elders who were left here to starve to death during times of famine. What a great place to go. Jesus. The locals who live near Akogihara said they could easily identify three types of visitors who head to this infamous forest. The trekkers, the curious, and those planning a one-way trip. Now, this all started with a book called Kiori Jukai, translated as Black Sea of Trees. This book was written by uh, Seichio Matsumoto in 1960. Now, the novel has, I guess what you could say, a romantic-type ending because the lovers in the book, they commit suicide in the forest, which revitalized the suicide forest popularity among those who wanted to end their own life only for real. So one could blame the novel for its dramatic ending, but the suicide history of Akogihara started way before as many people hang themselves on the trees in the thick forest, well before 1960. Wataru Tusamuri's controversial 1993 bestseller, The Complete Suicide Manual, is a book that describes various modes of suicide and even recommends Akogihara as the perfect place to die. Apparently, this book is also a common find in the forest, usually, as you could probably figure out, not too far away from a body, and it's mixed in with their belongings. Undoubtedly, the most common method of suicide in the forest is hanging. Uh, Now, uh, Japan has just a phenomenal suicide rate to start off with. Um, I think that the people in Japan are just relatively unhappy as a whole. Um, Their whole society is built basically around service, and, and they are indebted, or maybe not indebted, that's not a good word. They are destined to take care of their elderly, which is not a problem. I think it's a great thing, but there's so... Japan is a tiny island compared to the number of people living on it, and all people do basically is work, and then they come home to these tiny, tiny little apartments that are, you know, 500 square feet, and they have a family living there, a wife and maybe a child or two, and an elderly parent, and it's just... 
it's it's a lot. Um, people are having in Japan these days are having less sex. Well, apparently, if you read, it, it, the whole entire world is having less sex. At least the Japan, uh, Japan and the U.S. are definitely having less sex than our ancestors did, which is which is a shame. But uh, the Japanese people are definitely sexually repressed. They're unhappy as a whole, and they pretty much are one of the world leaders in suicide. So the local police stopped publishing the number of suicides that took place in Akugahara. And because they wanted to downplay its popularity among those who are trying to kill themselves and also a way to encourage more tourism in this forest. It's an amazing forest. I haven't been there obviously, but I've seen it on, on TV and stuff. And it's, it's darkly and eerily beautiful. The trees are so thick there with the canopy that even on sunny days, the sun light is very hard to penetrate down, down to the, the land below. It's just, it's, it's, it's an, the trees, trees are all crooked and everything. It's amazing. So, um, some of the last data that was released, um, like back in 2003, there's 100 and f- 105 confirmed suicides in Akogihara at two th- in 2003. And, of course, obviously it's believed that that number could be a lot more than that because a lot of, a lot of court, a lot of bodies are never found. And in 2010... Police records show that 247 people attempted to commit suicide in Akogihara, but only 54 of them succeeded. So the record was set back in 2003 where you had 105 confirmed suicides. But in 2010, which was the last year that we actually have records from Akogihara that are published, 247 people attempted to kill themselves. That is a lot of people. And like I said, in recent years, local officials have stopped publicizing the numbers in an attempt to decrease Akogihara's association with suicide and hopefully bring back some tourism to the area. More than just, you know, I want to kill myself, tourism. And as such, local authorities have put up suicide prevention signs at the entrance um, and in various other locations throughout Akogihara. The signs read like your life is something precious that was given to you by your parents and think about your parents, siblings, and children once more. Do not be troubled alone. And of course, talk to the police before you decide to die. You know, and they end with a, a helpline number hoping that, you know, if you're going to go out there to kill yourself, that maybe if the signs aren't enough to make you think twice that maybe you'll see the number and go, well, maybe I could call that. Maybe I can get some help. Maybe there is someone to talk to. Now it's hard to make a profile of the average person who commits suicide in the forest, but they're usually males between 40 and 50 years old. And the biggest month for suicides is for whatever reason is March and, that's probably because March is the end of the physical year in Japan. So many people come from all over Japan 
to see, you know, to end their, their stressful lives here as they feel it's the perfect location in which to breathe their last. And as I said, remember, the Japanese people, all they do is just freaking basically work, right? So it's the end of the physical year. They've worked all year. Okay, I'm done. I'm not doing it again this year, this next year. And they just come out there and, you know, hang themselves because there's there's no end to to the repeat cycle of work. Just, that's my two cents anyway. So in Japanese mythology, Akogihara is known to be haunted by demons, a reason why some Japanese are still afraid to enter the forest. And it's believed that those who do enter it would never return. Now this could be true as even nowadays, many hikers can easily lose their way in this dense forest. And furthermore, due to the magnetic iron in the volcanic soil in the area nearby, it often interferes with the function of compasses or mobile telephones, cell phones. Another reason why people believe that the forest is haunted is due to yuri, or souls filled with hatred, sadness, and desire to revenge. According to legend, people bring their family members during a famine to the forest, and they left them to die there in order to save their food for other family members. And those left in the forest would slowly die due to starvation, and that turned them into the yore. And in the Japanese popular belief, if a person dies in a deep sense of hatred, anger, sadness, or desire for revenge, their soul can't leave this world, so it continues to wander, appearing to people affected by the spell or to those that cross its path. These souls are called yore, and they're found in many modern cultural references like movies and books and mangas and stuff like that. Unlike Western horror movies where the ghost wants something specific in order to be able to rest in peace, the yore wants nothing in particular. They only want to have their curse removed or their conflicts resolved. The belief in the yore continues to this very day. When a body is found in a kogehara, forest guardians place it in a room next to the forest before it's sent to the authorities. And legend has it that the body is left alone in the room for too long. It's yore move around, screaming in the room. Hence, forest guards will play rock, paper, scissors to determine who the unlucky companion to the body will be. Now, that's some effed up stuff right there. I don't know that... uh, mm, I don't know that I want to play rock, paper, scissors and leave it up to chance because my luck sucks. (laughs) And I would definitely wind up on the wrong end of that deal all the stinking time. Well, that about does it for tonight. Thanks for listening. And before I close it out, here's one more thing for you. Do you like being scared? Does the feeling of your throat tightening fear leaving you unable to scream exciting? If the answer to these questions is yes, 
that you should listen to Scared to Death. Stories of suspense, science fiction, and horror. Scared to Death airs the third Friday of every month at 8 o'clock p.m. Central Time. Tune in for the fright of your life. <laughs> are going in the world? Have you always wanted to save whatever was on your mind without having to listen to some bitch about it or suffer any repercussions? Well, me too. That's why I created the Set It Off podcast. I'm sick and tired of the stupidity that's going on around here, and I'm going to let everybody know how I feel about it. So hop on board this train and fasten your seatbelt because I'm about to set it off. Set It Off can be heard on your favorite podcast station. New episodes drop on the fourth Friday of every month at 8 o'clock p.m. Central Time. You never know what I'm going to say next. Well, I certainly hope that you enjoyed tonight's episode of Parareality. If you want to leave a comment about it or anything else about the podcast, let me tell you how you can get in touch with me because there are a few different ways that you can do that, and here they are. The best and easiest way to do it is simply to email me. My email address is sandman at parareality.com. That's sandman at parareality.com. Or you can find me on Facebook at facebook.com slash sandman.parareality. You can post a message on my wall, or you can slide right into my DMs there and send me a direct message. Or if you have a Twitter or Instagram account, you can follow me on both of those. My username is at Radio for both of those. That's at Radio. You can uh, send me a tweet or slide right into my DMs there too or post a comment on my Instagram, whatever you want to do. And finally, you can always call the podcast. I've got a number coming right in here to the secret bunker. It's 615-692-1170. That number to call once again is area code 615. Then dial 692-1170 and leave me a message on the studio line. But I want you to remember this. If you decide to leave me a message, you're giving me permission to play your comment back on the podcast. So if you don't want that to happen, You'll need to let me know somewhere in your message. Now, I'm always looking for interesting stories for the podcast, so if you've got one that uh, you'd like to get on the show, call me and tell it to me over the voicemail. There's a three-minute limit on that, and if you run out of time, just call back and pick up where you left off. Send me an email. If you think your story is good enough to make you a guest on the show, I'd love to talk to the everyday common person who's not out trying to sell their book or their hawk their latest documentary or get you to buy a product or anything like that. I, I like to talk to normal, everyday people just like me who maybe have had some sort of paranormal experience that they can't explain and they want to talk about it. So if you've had something like that happen to you, get in touch with me 
Once again, here are the ways you can do it. Email me, sandman at parareality.com. Go to my Facebook page, facebook.com slash sandman.parareality. Or get in touch to me through Twitter or Instagram. Username is at Radio. That's all one word, Radio. Or remember, you can call me here in the secret bunker, 615-692-1170. Leave me a message. I'd love to hear from you. Speaking of ways to get in touch with me and stuff, don't forget to visit my website, parareality.com. This place where you can keep up with all of the latest paranormal news and information from all around the world. I've got an entire page of the website devoted to that kind of weird stuff, and the content is updated almost daily. It's under the paranews section of parareality.com. And you can also shop in the Parareality store. You can watch some of the terrible videos that I made from my very short-lived web series that I did several years ago where I was a one-man crew trying to do a television show, and it sucked so bad. I think I got like six episodes or something like that. Uh, It's horrible, but I put it up there for your viewing pleasure, so feel free to look at it and make fun of it. And also, I've got tons of audio on the website. Uh, All you got to do is go to parareality.com, go to the archive section, and there are, like I said, tons of audio on the website from the various incarnations of parareality throughout the years, along with my other podcasts that I've advertised here tonight, Set It Off and Scared to Death. You can find all of that content absolutely for free on the archive section of the website that's parareality.com. Make sure you check it out. Parareality can be heard on your favorite podcast station. Just search for Parareality. And if you've got a smart speaker, you can listen there too. If you've got any of those podcast skills enabled on your device, just say, play the Parareality podcast. And I've also got a YouTube account, and you can listen to the podcast there as well. I upload all the audio from my podcast onto YouTube, and I do have quite a few people who listen to it from YouTube, but it's also full of some great videos like UFO and paranormal documentaries, uh, those show terrible show videos that I uh, told you about before. I've got those up there. I've got some chemtrail videos. Um, I, I got several things several different video playlists up there. So to find the channel, all I got to do is go to youtube.com slash user slash parareality1. That's the number one. youtube.com slash user slash parareality1. And that's how you can get my YouTube channel. And look, everybody, um, I don't make money off of this podcast, and I'm not asking you to give me money. I mean, it'd be great if you joined my Patreon or if you shopped in the store and bought some merchandise. I don't make a dime. Everything that I make goes back into producing this podcast. However, you don't have to purchase something to help me out. If you really want to help me out and you want to do it without having to spend any of your hard-earned money, hey, times are hard. I totally get it. But I do ask 
that you give me a like on whatever platform you're listening to this on, whether it's Apple Podcasts, whether it's on the Spreaker app, or whether it's with Spotify or whatever, Stitcher, wherever you're listening to this, I ask that you please give me a rating, and it would be great if I could get a minimum of three stars. The better the rating, the more exposure that the podcast gets, and I really am looking for exposure. I want as many people to know about this podcast and listen to it as as possible. So if you want to help me out and you want to keep your hard-earned money, which I've got no problem with, just give me a like. Give me a, a good rating on whatever podcast platform you're listening to me on. I would greatly appreciate it. Everybody, I hope that this podcast opens up your mind to new ways of thinking, expands your consciousness, and produces a change in the way you see the world. If you wish to change, you must lift the veil of ignorance that has been cast over your eyes. Only then will you see the true power of the universe. I hope you have a wonderful Friday evening, a great weekend. Pair Reality will come back with the season finale next Friday on November the 19th at 8 o'clock p.m. Central Time. So make sure you turn on, tune in, and find out. I will see everybody next week. Have a great weekend. If you wish to change, you must first lift the veil of ignorance that has been cast over your eyes. Only then will you see the true power of the universe.